Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. I'm excited. So um, God's been doing some things in, in me. And he's been freeing me up a little bit. And so I'm, I'm feeling pretty loose. I'm feeling pretty good today. And uh, so typically, if you were to gauge, uh, for me personally, if you were to gauge the blend of uh, preaching and teaching, I probably would bend more towards the, uh, the teaching end, right? Like just a little bit more teaching than preaching. But today, it's probably going to be the other way around. And if you are used to downloading our notes, and you can get them on our uh, website at rccphoenix.com and look for the media link. They're there for you if you want to grab them. If you haven't yet, our notes are just really small and scriptures and some points. Not a lot for you to write in this week, if anything, only because I want you to catch um, what I feel like the Spirit of God has kind of put on my heart to deliver uh, to you guys this week. <clears throat> and so without any further ado, we're going to jump right in. We are wrapping up our six-week series on worship. And I don't know how it, how it slipped past me or whatever, but I didn't realize until about mid, midweek when I was doing my study for this week's message that this is Palm Sunday. And I don't know if it's because I was paying attention to all the things, you know, going on in our culture and our world and how it impacts our homes and things like that, but it just hit me, oh my goodness, what a great time to wrap up a series on worship, which is Palm Sunday. Now, for those of you, those of you who are not familiar with Palm Sunday, it is the week, the Sunday, the week before Easter every year. And Easter is uh, just kind of the traditional day that Christians across the world uh, have marked as a holiday to remember and celebrate the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead and for our salvation. <clears throat> and his death, burial, and resurrection is the reason we have salvation and we have the, uh, the ability to be reconciled with God. But we're going to deal a lot with that next week. But this week is Palm Sunday. And as I was getting into my study and reading the scriptures and wanting to talk about a little bit about Palm Sunday in the middle of this, it, you'll see how this lines up perfectly with worship. So what I want to do is I want to read John chapter 12, verses 1 through 9 in the NLT. If you have your notes, you can follow along with me, or you can just um, listen here in your hearing right now. So it says, John 12, verses 1 through 9. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping, it, <clears throat> wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, for he was a thief. Well, already then. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. <clears throat> When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man who he raised from the dead. I want to uh, paint a quick picture for us about what this, 
moment was like. Now, sometimes when you see Mary in this passage of Scripture, in the past I have heard it said that this is Mary Magdalene. But there is no proof in this text that it's Mary Magdalene. In fact, um, in another um, re- uh, recording of this particular passage in another book in the, in the New Testament, it actually doesn't identify her name. It just says a woman who lived in Bethany, the city of Bethany, who was sinful. Now, we don't know what that sin was. There's a lot of um, kind of assumption that the scripture may lead us down to the to role of that she may have been in prostitution or something like that, but we don't know exactly what her sin was. Now, here we are, and um, she is walking in the door with this expensive jar of, of oil. So let's pause right there, and let's set the scene a little bit, okay? So I don't know about you, but I got a brother, and you know, he's all right. I'm just kidding. My brother Mark, I love him to death. And so let's assume for all of you out there who don't have a brother that you do. And for those of you who do have a brother, let's just assume that you like him, okay, to be put in this story. And just assume for a second that you're in in the position of Martha here, Martha and Mary. And you watch your brother Lazarus die, and you know Jesus Jesus can come heal him, and he arrives late, and he dies, And then you watch Jesus raise him from the dead and you are just in awe. And now Jesus has gone away. Lazarus, who has been raised from the dead, who you saw was dead, you wept over him, you prayed for him, you prayed for your brother, you saw him dead and buried, and now he is alive with you every single day. He's eating food with you. He's cracking those dumb brother jokes with you. You know what I'm saying? He's doing all of that stuff and and you're just so grateful to the Lord that he's back. Then you get an opportunity for Jesus himself to come back through Bethany, back through town, and have dinner at your place, and you're going to have a dinner and honor and celebrate Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that would not be one of those dinners where I drive through the deli on the way home at the grocery store and pick up a rotisserie chicken that's already been cooked and ask my wife to throw some rice on because I don't want to cook dinner that night. This is a massive feast. This is going to be, if it's me, I'm going to have, you know, like one of my relatives show up, Chippy, and he's going to grill steaks, and it's going to be good because they're better than any steakhouse that's out there. And if you disagree, invite me after this is all over to your favorite steakhouse, and I'll be able to compare the two, all right? So just shoot me a message, and I'll I'll meet you there. Uh, But I'd also have some brisket from my favorite barbecue spot, some pulled pork. Man, I'm already hungry, right? And so, well... These are Jewish people, right? So there'd be no pulled pork there. My wife is cooking a ham here at the house where we're broadcasting from. And so if I go fast, it's because I'm hungry, all right? And it smells good here in the house. But, we're, but imagine that feast. They're throwing all, the, all the, the, they're pulling out the good china, the good plates, the good forks. No plastic dishes on this one. None of that. They are throwing out a big old feast. And here's Martha working very studiously in the kitchen, trying to make sure everybody is, is taken care of, is fed, has their drinks full. She's taking care of all the guests. And all of the guys are assembled in the room with Jesus and Lazarus talking to him about who knows what. They've got to be talking about the miracles and the things that they've seen and the things that they've heard about him. <clears throat> and that, those conversations had to be rich. Now, I don't, what I don't want us to do, I want to stop for a second right here. What I don't want to do is have us as the readers of the Bible superimpose our translation of what the Scripture means and put what we think it means on it. I don't want to do that. But what I want us to do, and the reason I'm painting this picture here, is because I want us to remember that these are real people. 
This is not just some story. These are real people in real life. This is a historical account of an event that actually happened. Their, their, their culture was very agricultural based. They, they had a lot of manual labor. There was a lot of working in the fields and with, with um, uh, uh, crops and working with um, uh, livestock and things of that nature. And so people had bad days and hard days and days where their back was, where it was aching and their feet hurt. This, this is all in that room that day with Jesus. He is in the middle of talking to them. And in this room that was typically full of men, something surprising happens. And a woman, and not just any woman, a woman who was sinful. And I really believe they put that in there because everybody knew she was sinful. Walks in the room. No pretense. Not trying to do anything or prove anything or show out to anybody. She walks in with an expensive bottle of perfume and kneels down and lays on the floor next to Jesus and begins weeping because of the grace and mercy she can receive as a sinner. That perfume began to fill the air. The aroma, everyone began to smell it. And it was worth a year's wages. A year's wages. Now, if you're married out there, husbands and wives, let me just put a hypothetical out there to you. Men, if you were you know, doing really well financially and you were, were, were saving a bunch of money and you're out of debt, your home's paid off and all that, and you've got a sack of money and you look at, man, I was making you know, a really good salary of you know, 80, 90, $100,000 a year or something like that. And you looked at your wife one day and said, man, I love this woman so much, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And I can hear all the women saying, amen, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a year's worth of my effort and work and wages, and I am going to go buy her all her favorite things. You can take $100,000, an exorbitant, expensive amount of money to most of us, and you would buy her a car or jewelry, whatever her favorite stuff is, you fill in the blank for your scenario. Those people around you who heard that you did that, their first thought, and if it was me, my first thought, if I heard that about one of you, I'd be like, man, that is an extravagant gift and a sign of affection to someone that guy really loves. Now, it's not a perfect example because Mary and Martha are not in any type of relationship, or Jesus and, and Mary are not in any type of relationship, rather. But the principle is the same. She is so overcome and overwhelmed by gratitude for what God has done for her, for what Jesus is giving her in grace and mercy and compassion that she walks in the room and says, the best thing I can give is all of this and lays down at his feet and pours it out as an offering and a moment, an act of worship to Jesus. My friends, when I read that, I realized something and it's the first, the first point underneath that scripture in your notes and it's this. Giving to God is an act of worship. Now, most people who've been around church for a long time, or if you're a Christ follower, or if you've ever been to church even once, you probably just got really tense right there. 
He just said giving to God. He's going to try to take money. He wants money. No, 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 no. Yes, you can give to God through money, but money is not the definition of giving. Giving of your time, of yourself, of the things you have, of your skill, of your ability, of the gifts God has given you in service to other people, is, it's an all-encompassing word. It just doesn't refer to some kind of financial gift here. So what I want us to understand is that when you, out of an abundance of love, give to God the way he wants to be given to, by caring for other people, looking out for the poor, helping out that single mom, whatever it is, whatever opportunity is in front of you, that God has placed you there to give in an act of love and service to him. He's put it on your heart to fulfill some type of need, my friends. That is an act of worship to God. Giving is an act of worship. Giving to Him is an act of worship. It would be really good if this was like a hallmark moment, right? Like if everybody was like watching Mary walk in and laying down at the feet of Jesus and going, oh, how precious. But that's not what happened. These are real people with real questions and real opinions And we get the insight to one of them in Judas Iscariot's mind. And he all of a sudden turns into, I'll use a a more common word, a hater. Right? He turns into a hater and says, that perfume is worth a year's wages. It could have been sold and money given to the poor. If the story ended right there, some of us would look and go, man, he's got a point. I mean, how many people could you have fed with a year's wages? Today, if you have made a good wage, and in our example before of spending $100,000 on your wife, how many more people, homeless people, hungry people, could you have fed by doing that? It almost seems like a pretty good question, if the story stopped there, but it doesn't. Not that he, Judas, cared for the poor, for he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus puts him in his place and says, leave her alone. What this reminds me is something very profound that I want all of us to get today. If you, as someone who has given your life to Christ, you are a follower of Christ, you are a disciple, you are really pursuing him, you're not perfect, none of us are, but if your heart's desire is loving him and pouring out your affection and worshiping him, if that's your desire, how you give to God is not going to make sense to the people who don't have that type of love for him. It's not going to make sense to them. It's not going to make sense for people who don't love him the way you love him, who haven't come from the depths that you have come from, who don't understand that grace and that mercy and that compassion that we have received. They may not be believers yet. There's a part in their heart that's unsubmitted to God. They're not going to understand the way you worship. And guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to encourage you to push past the opinions of everybody else. I'm going to encourage you to push past the 
potential condescending looks from people who are not believers or maybe someone who is but has a hurt in their life that is unhealed, an issue that is unresolved, and they look at you and don't understand the expression of love that you have for God, they may look at you and be like, man, why did you give that money to that missionary? Do you even know it's going to where he said it's going to? Well, why did you give uh, your car, instead of selling it and, and doing something else with it, why did you give it to a single mom? Why in the world would you try to do something like that? If you get those types of questions when you give to God, my friends, you are dealing with people who don't understand the love that you have for the God who has saved you. I'm not telling you that you're better than them because you are not. What I am saying is this. Tune that out. Understand where they are in their journey of life. Pray that they get into that right relationship with God, but move all the way past them and give completely. That's the second point I want us to, to, to go over here tonight is this. Worship consistently. Worship consistently. Let's read John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey. This is the very scripture of why we call this Sunday Palm Sunday. So Jesus is in Bethany, wrapping up, it's the next day, past his, the dinner that was thrown at Lazarus' home in honor of him. Bethany is only one to two miles away from Jerusalem. And somewhere between that dinner ending and the next morning, people who were at the dinner or who had heard about it went back to Jerusalem and began to spread the word that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now it says here that a large crowd of Passover visitors took the palm branches and waved them in the air when Jesus came. Who were the Passover visitors? Passover is a celebration from the the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, that they still honor until this day. And it's a remembering of how God delivered them from the last plague when they were in captivity in Egypt. If you remember, there there were 10 plagues in Egypt when God was telling Pharaoh to let his people go, let his children leave and go into uh, into the wilderness for worship, let them go. And Pharaoh continued to refuse. He hardened his heart and continued to refuse. And God sent plague after plague after plague. The last plague was the worst, and it was the death of every firstborn in Egypt. Now, the children of Israel were like, how do we get out of this? We're we're not the ones that are to blame. And God provided a salvation for their firstborn, a way out. And what they had to do was sacrifice a lamb. Take the blood of the lamb from the sacrifice and put it on their doorsteps. 
There are some Hebrew scholars who tell us they would actually dip a branch into the blood and strike the tops and the sides with the blood of the lamb. That night, when the death angel came, and he came to take the firstborn children, he would see the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and he would pass over their home to the ones who did not have the blood. So to this day, there is still a Passover celebration that happens. Back in those days, during uh, the, the, this time that we're reading right now, during Jesus' day, Israel was in their land. They had occupied Canaan. It's the nation of Israel. They had spread out into all the 11 tribes had taken their area of land. And it was the requirement now as a memorial of that moment for them to take a sacrifice to Jerusalem. They would take the sacrifice to Jerusalem. They weren't required to take the blood home to their doorpost because some of them traveled so far a distance. It didn't make sense to, make it, to try to take it all the way back for multiple days of travel. All they had to do was come and present a lamb as a thank you to God. These are the visitors that are here in this scripture. <clears throat> and... Look what they're doing. They're they're grabbing palm branches and waving them. Now, this is not the first time in history that someone has entered Jerusalem with palm branches waving. This was a, a tradition amongst the culture at the time that Israelites and the Jewish people would come out and anyone who was a conqueror in a war or a victor in some type of battle would come home and they would wave these palm branches <clears throat> as a sign of, ex- of excitement and celebration, championing and shouting the praises of the person that was coming. All of these people grabbed these palm branches to show that type of conqueror, victor celebration to Jesus as he came into the city. I read more than a half dozen commentaries this week during my study, and almost every single person refers to the palm branches and the victory wave, but there was one that had another insight that I found fascinating and interesting, and it's this. Those palm branches were also a symbol of patriotism to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. When they would wave palm branches, it was almost the equivalent of, you know, everybody in, in, uh, in our country here in the United States getting together for the 4th of July and having a little flag and waving it in celebration or at the time where soldiers come home from war and they're, sell- they're waving these little flags. It's kind of the similar thing. And what they were doing was they weren't just waving the palm branches to the victor and the conqueror who they, they believed Jesus to be. What they were doing was also a political statement. Hey, we think he's coming here to reestablish the nation, the physical earthly, of na- uh, physical earthly nation of Israel back into a basically a world superpower. He's going to run out all these Romans. He's going he's to conquer our oppressors. He's going to, to rebuild the military. He's going to put Israel back on the map. That's what they were wanting him to do. They were wanting him to fix a temporary problem. But when Jesus enters the picture, he doesn't deal in temporary problems. He deals with 
eternal significance. I'm going to say that again. Jesus does not, when he shows up, it's not because he's trying to correct a temporary thing. He is trying to make eternal, not trying, he is going to make eternal consequences. Why? Because if you're not taking notes, um, I wish you would, and I want you to write this down. There is nothing more beautiful or precise than the almighty God in motion. I'm going to say it again so you can write it down. There is nothing more beautiful or precise than the almighty God in motion. I read this scripture and thought about where we were today in our culture and in our world. And there's many people who have been praying for, for many things. And I don't know about you, but in the past, before this, this, this time of hardship hit our, our, not our nation specifically, but our, our world, I have gone through moments of hardship. And when I have prayed and asked the Lord to do something and I've worshiped him and submitted to him in the middle of these, in the middle of these times, 99.999% of the time, God comes and does something. He moves in a way that I was not expecting. See, right now, I could be expecting, I could be like, God, uh, that stimulus check that's coming, I need like four or five of those. How about you just, just, like, just stamp me out a bunch of them and just ship them on over here to me? Right? I could use four or five of those. Um, I need another job because I've been laid off. Uh, I need this thing to go away real quick so we can all go back to work or whatever the case may be, or I'm sick and I need to be healed, whatever your scenario is. But that scenario, my friend, is temporary. It is not outside the concern of God. He is concerned about that. But when we're asking him to move, we're looking at a temporary scenario. But when Jesus walks in to the situation, he's not just going to meet the temporary need. There is an eternal consequence when he moves, when he speaks, when he acts everything changes. And I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit excited about that one. Everything changes when he shows up. So if you are a person who is worshiping in the middle of a hard time, you are submitting to God, you are giving him what he asked for, you're pouring out your affection in every way that you can, you're saying out of your mouth the great things that God has done, you're declaring his greatness, and him being Lord over the entire earth, If that's you and you have a specific expectation, I'm going to encourage you to detach that specific expectation from your worship and worship him because he's coming. And if he comes and doesn't fulfill this temporary thing that I need right now, but does something else, there is a trust I have in my God that he is going to do exactly what is needed. And when he walked into the city of Jerusalem that day, nobody knew he was about to be arrested. Nobody knew he was about to die. No one knew he was about to be crucified and buried and rose again in just a few days. Nobody knew that. They thought he was coming to do something else, but God sees the things that we can't and he comes and provides the things that everyone needs, not just what I need. And I don't know about you, but that is good news. Some of you can stand up and just start running around your computer right now like a Jericho march and start shouting and hollering because that is good news for us to remember. Make sure we worship him consistently 
Our expectation should not be for a specific thing that I need. It should be that God shows up and my trust in him is that he does exactly what is necessary and needed and eternal because there is nothing more beautiful or precise than the almighty God in motion. I told you that your boy was a little bit wired up this week. I told you, so I'm going to calm it down just a little bit here. Woo, I'm glad. Jesus walks into, doesn't walk, he rides a donkey into the nation of Israel. He walks in, or he, he rides a donkey in there, gets out the donkey and walks in, knowing that he would not leave. He's the only one who knew. He knew what was coming. And he sacrificed his physical temporary body to give us eternal security with him and the Father. He sacrificed his body, his temporary physical form here on earth. He sacrificed that so we could be reconciled with God. He could fulfill the the, the Old Testament. He could complete the requirements, the final sacrifice, sacrifice, uh, um, um, satisfy the wrath of God against sin so that we all could go to heaven. I'm going to take a side note right here and remind every single person this. If you are a believer in Christ, you are justified with God and the blood of Jesus covers you and your sin. It doesn't matter how many of the rules that you want to keep, you can't get a thicker covering than what you already have. The response to God should be out of worship, submission. Of course I would do what he asked. Of course I want to honor him. Of course I want to pour my affection out on him because look what he has done. And it leads me to my third point here. And it's this. In Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome and he's talking to believers. That's me and you. If you're a Christ follower watching this, listen to what he says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And the last point of our six-week series on worship I want to make to us right now is this. Giving our bodies to the Lord is an act of worship. Now, you may sit there for a second and go, sounds kind of weird, man. Giving my body to God? How do I do that? He clarifies it right here. He also doesn't say, "Eh, it might be a good idea if you do that. He doesn't say, you know, if you get to it or if you want to. He says, I plead with you to give your your bodies to God. Why? Because of all He has done for you. This, when I read this, I see that giving my body to God is an act of worship. It's a response to the love and gift of of Jesus that's been given to us, of salvation, of freedom, of healing, 
All of those things have been given to us as Christ followers, as God's children. All of those things have been given to us. And because he has given us so much, he has paid a debt we could not repay. Absolutely, what do you want from me? I will gladly, from a position of love and worship and submission and honor and affection, give you exactly what you want. How would I not do that to someone I owed a debt this big to and whom I loved so much because he first loved me? How do we do that? How do we be a living sacrifice? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. What are the customs and behavior of this world? It's lined out all in the New Testament. It talks about drunkenness, sexual immorality, talks about pride and lust and everything that we want to do from a natural position as a human being that is opposite of what Scripture lies out for us. Those are the customs and behaviors of the world. He's saying, avoid these things. Don't act like them. Don't copy them. The wild parties he refers to later, the the filthy language coming out of our mouth, avoid all of those things. But I want to do those things. Matt, there's something in me. Yes, there is. But there's a Spirit of God. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And now you have an opportunity to crucify that flesh every day and go to the Father. You have an opportunity every day to submit to him and pour your affection on him just like Mary did. If your angle for worshiping is to show all the people around you what to do, you haven't worshiped. You've submitted to yourself so that you would look good. But that's not what Mary did. She walked in in humility and gratitude and knelt and laid before the Master and poured her love and affection and gave everything she could to Him. In the same way, you and I, as believers in Christ's followers, can give our bodies to God. We can treat them in a certain way. We can make sure we don't participate in these behaviors and customs of the world. But we let God transform us by the renewing of our mind. And my friend, this is great, great news. Do you have a friend, a family member, a coworker, or somebody who when they, when they talk or when they say things, you go, man, the thinking... I don't understand how they, you know, that, that whole line of thinking or the way they think. And guess what? If they're not a believer, you don't have to understand it. Because when they come in contact with Christ, they give their life to Him and submit to Him and they become truly saved. The Holy Spirit is inside them and they become a new person, born again. God changes the way they think. I've heard countless stories and testimonies about people who have, who have gone through crazy scenarios in their life 
Some of them I can't even fathom. I just think of them and go, I don't know if I could have personally even made it through something like that. And to be wounded to the way they are wounded and to, to be shaped by these life events that have happened and story after story after story of people who, who give their testimonies and then when they come in contact with the Creator, they come in contact with the Master, when they give their life to Christ and they become new, all of these things shift. And they begin to see things a different way. They begin to understand they don't have to process their world around them through their hurt. They now have the power of the Holy Spirit to begin helping them go through a process of healing and seeing clearly. So the three things that we've gone over today as we wrap up our series and wrap up our message today is this. Giving is an act of worship to God, whatever, whatever it is you give. Worship consistently. And whatever God does when He shows up, be happy that He showed up. That is what we're after. Because when He acts, it has eternal consequences, and it's beautiful and precise. And the last thing is make sure we give our bodies to the Lord as an act of worship. Every service we end by asking a question, and that is this. I'm going to ask it to everybody who's watching here today. Is this, is what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? You might feel some kind of stirring in your heart. You may feel like there is something right now that He's already dropped in your heart, or you might feel Him drawing you into spending time in His Word this week, or even spending some time of prayer after this message is done, if you have that ability where you are watching right now. You may spend some time with him later in this week and take some songs that express what you are grateful for in worship to God. And in those moments throughout your week, you may have the, that may be the opportunity that the Holy Spirit takes to tell you something in your life. Speak to something in your life that may need to change, may need to shift. When you've come in contact with his word, we have to respond and so whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you today, tomorrow, whenever it is that you watch this and you sit with Him and He points something out in you, my encouragement to you has always been and will continually be this. Instantly obey. Instantly obey. Whatever He says, pull the trigger. Go for it. Go after it. Go after Him. Do the thing that He is asking you to do. Remove the behavior that He is asking you to remove. Make the shift that He's asking you to pivot from. Because if you obey Him, even when you don't understand it, my friend, it's an act of worship because you're submitting to Him. My prayer is, is that if you've missed any of these messages on worship, that you'd go back on the podcast or the website and you'd catch up on them and that you would take to heart and change don't just listen and be like, oh man, that's good. I really like this. No, no, no. Change. Change. Because His Word is truth. His Word is life. I want to say one quick prayer over you before we go, before we wrap up, and before Nina comes and kind of closes us out today, and it's this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you. And may he give you peace. Amen.